Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. This is Lent. This is the first Sunday of Lent. So this is the time when it is a sacred uh, duty um, to honor the sorrow that our world knows and to make space for it, um, not to hide from it, but to acknowledge it. And so we are looking at the theme of blood in the Bible through this time. It's the counterpart to the theme of body, which we just finished. So the scripture for today I'm going to begin is from Genesis chapter 4, Genesis 4, 1 to 11. The man Adam knew his wife Eve intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have given life to a man. I can't see. <laughs> With the Lord's help. She gave birth a second time to Cain's brother Abel. Abel cared for the flocks, and Cain farmed the fertile land. Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops, while Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifices, but didn't look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became very angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? If you don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. <clears throat> so is that what Cain did? No. He said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what did you do? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You are now cursed from the ground that opened its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. Um, I noticed the connection between Adam's land acknowledgement and this text, um, that the blood is a character that has a voice, that has agency. It can speak, it can cry out. Uh, and the land and the blood uh, seem to know each other, and they tell God, they bear witness um, to the actions of humanity. <clears throat> and so you are all, I'm no doubt, familiar with this passage. The question, am I my brother's keeper, begins the biblical narrative. And I would argue that the rest of the Bible, every page, all the way to the end of Revelation, is this one resounding cosmic, yes, you are. It's what we will celebrate shortly at the communion table. And this is where it begins. The first family, two brothers kill each other. And if we uh, take this as the word of God, then um, anybody that has ever taken the life of another has taken the life of their brother. We are all from the same family. And this is a very significant story because <clears throat> if I back it up a little more, the connection of blood and ground is something I really want to uh, draw your attention to for a moment. Um, in Genesis 2 verse 7, uh, the second creation story in the Bible, um, there's this really intense connection between the human and the land, and that connection is in the blood. So just Genesis 2, 4 to 7 says, On the day the Lord God made earth and sky, oh, you can go back, uh, before any wild plants appeared on the earth and before any field crops grew because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth and there was still no human being to farm the fertile land. Though a stream rose from the earth and watered all the fertile land, 
the Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils and the human came to life. Now this is super cool, okay, because the word human is Adam. Adam is how you'd say it in Hebrew, Adam. Now the word for blood in Hebrew is dam. It's the same word, dam, adam. You just add the letter A. And the word for soil, that they have that top soil. I see uh, Trevor's here and I think Michelle's on Zoom and I think of Rod, like the garden right here. Soil health, loving that soil is like one of the three core values, right? Um, because soil and hum the, the prosperity of the soil and the prosperity of life on earth um, are deeply interconnected. <laughs> and so the word for top soil in Hebrew is Adama. So Dam, blood, Adam, human, Adama, earth. He took from the earth, Adama, some soil, breathed the breath of God into this soil, and that soil came alive as Adam. And it's really interesting because the, the color red, the Hebrew word um, red, is also um, the word dam. <coughs> and so the real wooden translation of Adam would be the red earth man. He made a red earth man. And the ancient theory is actually not so far from the current scientific theory. Um, the, in the ancients believed, this is thousands and thousands of years old, um, that our blood is red for the same reason the soil is red. And if you've ever been to the ancient Near East, uh, there's a photo here. Um, there are parts of the earth where the clay is very, very red. Uh, the clay deposits, um, the soil there is red. And so they believe that the blood that's in my body is red for the same reason the earth is blood. It, it, the earth is red, the soil is red, the clay is red. I came from that place and now the, the, oh, the earth, the soil, the clay is alive and in my veins. And this connection um, is profound and it sort of starts the whole biblical narrative. It's really wild. Um, they, I, and it's true. Um, so mythology and science uh, intersect. <clears throat> Earth scientists today have determined that the shift from the only life forms being bacteria and blue-green algae to a more complex form like, and I don't know how to say this word, oh, I bet you Ariana knows how to say this word, uh, eukarotes, 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 eukarotes. The, of which we are members, it's a life form, we are eukaryotes. You, eukaryotes, eukaryotes, we are eukaryotes. And eukaryotes, okay, so first there was bacteria and blue-green algae, and that evolved into more complex life forms, eukaryotes, of which we are members. And science say, scientists say this occurred 1.9 billion years ago, and the reason this took place is because CO2 levels increased in the atmosphere, which created red beds. Um, a red bed is shallow water or a soil deposit in which the iron that is there combines with oxygen to form uh, red iron oxide. So the earth is red because of this ancient billion-year-old uh, connection between iron and oxygen. And the reason our blood is red is because of iron and oxygen. That we are literally, whether you believe it from biblical uh, tradition or a scientific tradition or you can merge the two together, uh, what they share in common is that our blood is red because the earth is red. All of us have red blood. It's pretty cool. I learned some cool facts about blood this week. Did you know that there are about 0 0.2 milligrams of gold in your blood? All of us? There's a lot of gold in the room. It's kind of nifty. There are 150 billion red blood cells in one ounce of your blood. The human body manufactures 17 million red blood cells per second. 
It takes 20 to 60 seconds for one drop of blood to travel from your heart through your entire body back to your heart again. 20 to 60 seconds. Your body contains, on average, about one gallon of blood. Unless you're pregnant, pregnant women have another 50%. Um, and so that's about 8% of your body weight is blood. <clears throat> a healthy blood cell lives for approximately 120 days. 120 days from now, whole new person, whole new blood. We know that blood cells are made by your bone marrow. And we know that blood is red because of iron and all iron comes from the earth. All the earth that is red is red because of iron. And one thing I learned about two weeks ago from Eric Reynolds is that, did you know that human beings are 99.9% .9 identical in our genetic makeup? You and me, 99.9% .9 identical. The blood in me is the blood in you. And our blood comes from the soil. I'm actually uh, really into poetry these days. And I got this new book by this guy called The Crypto Naturalist. It's like very earthy, naturey, but it's poetic. So oh, hold me back. I'm, I'm in love. Um, and I found this poem and it like, I can't, I'm obsessed with it. I wanted to share it with you. It's short. Um, it's called Family Resemblance. <clears throat> and he writes, our blood is red because of the iron we inherited from the earth. Iron to bind the oxygen from trees and phytoplankton. Our blood and breath are hand-me-downs. The landscape is not scenery, it's family. Notice the resemblance. Our blood is mostly water, iron to bind oxygen, built using the energy of the sunlight. Water, earth, air, fire. You may feel separated from the natural world, but just look at what you are. Look at how you live. You are not born to this place. You are born of this place. Take one square meter of your bedroom, or the deepest abyss of sunless sea, or the brutal emptiness of interstellar space. Put them side by side and see the harmony. They are all children of the same natural laws. Our bodies speak of contradiction, bones and soft tissue, teeth and lips, sensitive resilience. What strong family resemblance we share with the landscapes that shaped us, wind and stone, Rivers and oaks, this old dance of opposing forces creating a unified whole. <clears throat> David reminded me today also that the bacteria in your gut is the same as the bacteria in the soil. And there are more of them in your gut than there are cells that make you you. We come from the soil. We are connected to the earth. The first Adam, the red blood, uh, the, the red soil man, was made from the soil. And so when the first murder takes place, blood has not yet been shed um, violently in the biblical story, but Cain kills Abel, which means the, the, the blood that was taken from the soil and made into human life was reversed and put back into the soil. To murder Abel is to undo God's good creation. I, I, just, I just took the blood out and created a human but Cain undid that and put the blood back into the soil. And the soil and the blood are like, wait a minute, this is not right. And they cry out. And God, what have you done, Cain? Where is your brother's blood? It should be circling through his body every 20 seconds, but it's in the soil now. And then the ground is cursed. 
And now Cain is cursed because um, when you commit an act of violence, you yourself suffer from that act of violence. Everybody is wounded by the act of violence. And Cain is terrified, and he's then exiled and cast away. And both the brothers, um, Adam and Eve, suddenly only have one child, but really none. Cain is cast away. And so the, the ground is cursed, and, and Cain's response is, why should I care? Am I my brother's keeper? What has that got to do with me? Now God will accept my sacrifice, perhaps, he thinks, because I'm the only sacrifice that's coming. Mine is the only one that's coming. Um, but, but Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the question remains unanswered in the text. However, that question, am I my brother's keeper, is at the heart of every conflict, is it not? Why should Putin care about Ukrainians? Am I my brother's keeper? This is the question at the heart of every question. Why should I care? Why should, uh, I'll, I'll get into that. I'm, I'm not going to pick polarized topics yet. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but at the heart of every conflict, even in the Bible, the conflict between Isaac and Ishmael, brothers, am I my brother's keeper? Jacob and Esau, am I my brother's keeper? Joseph and his brothers, am I my brother's keeper? The story of the prodigal son, which Kara had the most beautiful image of that um, art piece on her um, worship slides. Um, the younger brother squanders it all, runs away, makes a ton of bad choices, and the older brother has done everything right and followed the rules and never left home. And he just can't. The older brother can't bring himself to celebrate the return of his younger brother. He's jealous. He's upset. He stays out from the party. I think there's, a, there's, an, Adam, there's an a Cain and Abel story in those two brothers. The obedient one, the disobedient one, hatred, an unwillingness to weep with one another and to celebrate with one another. One of the most iconic stories in the New Testament is between two men, um, Paul and Stephen. In Acts 7, um, there's this new sort of Christian uh, leader named Stephen, um, and then there's this Jewish leader named Paul who is absolutely seethingly enraged and hates this Christian, this new movement. Um, and when Stephen <coughs> tells his story, um, and he kind of proclaims his beliefs about Jesus, uh, the, the Jewish leaders are enraged, and they kill Stephen. And when Stephen is dead, his blood has been spilled. They bring um, their jackets and lay it before Saul, who goes on to become Paul. So you will find, my friends, if you read the New Testament, almost in every verse written by Paul is this deep longing for forgiveness and reconciliation because Paul's story begins with shedding the blood of his own brother, Stephen. Paul had to change his mind about the Christian movement, and the group of Christians sure had to change their mind about Paul, and a new community was born. And the miracle of that community, how did Saul become a member of this community? That's the miracle of uh, the gospel is at the heart of the answer to that question. So that's biblical stories, but I want to reflect for a moment as a community. How much blood do you think has been poured out upon the ground of our earth since the beginning of human history? How many wars? How many missing and murdered people? How much Ukrainian blood has been spilled this week? In our lifetime, how much Palestinian blood, Afghani blood? What about the blood of George Floyd, Tina Fontaine? Did you know that today, March 6th, is the 67th anniversary of Bloody Sunday? Today is called Bloody Sunday. Since the uh, civil rights movement, the march from Selma to Montgomery to, uh, in an attempt to protest how unethical it was that black people couldn't vote. <clears throat> Today is the anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Today, if you look in the news, more than 1,800 unmarked graves of indigenous children has been found in Canada. 
But the ground does not keep the blood a secret. Eventually, the ground speaks out. And we are now, our generation, discovering, recovering um, those children, those real human beings bearing the image of God, loved by God. Um, they're being recovered from the earth. The biblical story begins, am I my brother's keeper? And profoundly, I think the biblical text is saying yes, but when Jesus steps into the scene, it's more than a yes. Not only are you your brother's keeper, I think part of Jesus' um, challenge to all of us is that your brother, you are, your brother is not just to be kept by you, your brother is you. There's a story in Luke 10, you all know it, but I just want to reflect on the first chunk of it. A legal expert or a lawyer, a specialist in the biblical text, a biblical scholar, we could say, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer? You tell me. How do you interpret it? He responded, ah, you know, he knows the answer. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a profound question. Isn't it the same question that Cain asked? Who is my brother? Who is my neighbor? If I have to love my neighbor as myself, and that's the sum of the law, who's my neighbor? Well, if it was Cain asking, you'd say Abel was probably your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And who is my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Same question. And it's ironic. Um, it's easy to love people that already think like you and look like you and act like you, right? Like, the irony is not lost on me that I'm trying to give a sermon on, like, reconciliation and, like, loving your neighbor and loving your brother. Just super easy to do when the majority of the people in this room probably vote the same way, probably have the same theological views, probably had the same response. We, we would have the same response probably to, to sort of current events happening in our world right now. But it would be a different church, perhaps, if we had people who represented different ends of the political and theological spectrum. But that's hard. It's like, it's easy to love people who are just like me and already think like me and vote like me and do theology like me. But what would it look like for me to, so, so who's my brother? Well, I hope my brother is like the people in this room that I already uh, love. But if Jesus were to name a few names that I have in the back of my mind ready to go at all times, <laughs> I would walk away. Oh, I'm not, I'm not his keeper. That's someone else's neighborhood, not mine. Uh, but that's the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to talk about the Good Samaritan, which is like, what? No Samaritans? Yeah. And the, and the challenge, um, I think the most challenging text, the most challenging te teaching that Jesus gives is in Luke 7, where Jesus says, I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks. Don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, or, but I tell you, love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. 
you will be acting the way children of the Most High act. For he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. This challenges everything I believe about conflict resolution. Am I my brother's keeper? Do I really have to love this person? And Jesus challenges us with this overwhelming yes. And how could we actually love our enemies? <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by that question. I'm overwhelmed reading the news. What could I possibly do with my life that would make any difference whatsoever for the life of Ukrainians right now? What could I do? I don't know. What could I do to fix these problems? What, how, what could I... What could I do to bring healing for settlers and indigenous people in Canada? I wonder sometimes, what, could I travel back through time and journey through my ancestral line like I'm hopping, stepping stones and heal the wound all the way back between Cain and Abel? Could I do that? Could I go back in time and heal the wounds between my ancestors and those indigenous children? Could I go back even one generation and heal the wounds between my mother and my father? When I think about that question, I get a little closer to home. My parents, who divorced, got remarried and divorced again, and I love them both very much. Um, and neither of them are to blame for anything. It's a systemic thing. But um, my mother and my father are still married in my blood. They are in my veins. I am my mother and my father in one body. And they are married forever in my blood. The same way David and I are married forever in the blood, in the veins of Ember and Raven. We do truly pass our wounds on generation to generation. We have inherited wounds from our parents and we pass them on to our children. And the work of healing those intergenerational wounds is the work of a lifetime. And as I realize my mother and my father are in my blood, and they and David and David's parents are in the blood of Ember and Raven. I realize I am my mother and my father. I am Raven and Ember. I am David. I am Vladimir Putin. I am Vladimir Zelensky. I am the grandmother making Molotov cocktails with her grandchildren in Kiev right now. I am a trucker angry at Trudeau. I am Justin Trudeau. I am you, and you are me. We are the Red Earth people. When Adam is created, he's alone, and it's this problem. And so God kind of solves the problem in this really profound way where the Adam is put into a deep sleep, sleep the Red Earth man. And then um, from Adam's very body, God pulls the next human being. And that story is profound, and it's been weaponized in horrible ways in our, in our lifetime, in our history. Um, but the text itself is so beautiful because when Adam opens um, his eyes, and when he sees the new human, the second human, the only other, he doesn't notice the things that make her different than him. He doesn't notice. It's not like, whoa, there's body parts there that I don't have. That's curious. That's not it. When he sees her, he's overcome with the uh, ecstasy of familiarity. He says, finally bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You are me. You are me. And it's true it, because she was there before. She was just in his body, right? And then God removed her from his body and the one became two. And he opened his eyes and she opened her eyes and it's like, it's me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I am you. You are me. Remember when we were one body? Let's spend the rest of our lives trying to do that again. 
because we were. We were in one body. We were one person. I am, and, and you are, and we are. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. Matthew 25. Even Jesus says, I am these different people. Whatever you did to the least of these, that's in Matthew 25, you have done to me. Whatever has happened to the children in Kiev, that's what's happened to Jesus. The indigenous children in the graves in Canada, that's Jesus. The men panhandling in Bones at Tim Hortons right now, that's Jesus. The Yazidi women who live in Bones, that's Jesus, he lives in Bones. The men at the Simon House on the most courageous journey a person could ever take, the journey of recovery, that's Jesus. Whose blood cries out from the ground? Is it Abel's blood? It's Jesus' blood. All of the blood that's ever been shed in Matthew 25, we could say, was Jesus' blood. <clears throat> we are all children of Adam and Eve. We are all children of the red earth. When one bleeds, we all bleed, which means your healing is our healing. And that's a profound um, idea that your healing is my healing. And so when I'm overwhelmed when I read the news about what could I possibly do to fix these conflicts in the world, what could I do? I hear this small whisper say, your healing is their healing. Do the work. The war is in me, in my blood right now. Could I sit and begin that healing journey? Could I listen to the blood that cries out, the blood that speaks in my own veins? Paul says in Corinthians and, and Colossians that our work, our work 100%, our full-time job, the only job we have is a ministry of reconciliation. That's it. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. To build one bridge is to build every bridge. So it's urgent. It's like, wait, I don't know if I can fix the conflict uh, in big government or, or, or the conflict, you, you know, that I hear about in the news, but I think I could go and fix some of the stuff that is left to be done between me and my actual neighbor. Neighborliness is the greatest act of resistance. To actually know and love your neighbor. To actually know and love them like they are you and you are them. That when I look at them, I see myself. When I look in the mirror, I see someone worthy of love. That healing work and when Jesus invites us to the table, it's an invitation to become new. And there's this profound thing. So this is my conclusion. It maybe seems abrupt, but I'm really, Adam's going to lead us in communion, and I'm looking forward to this. Um, in, in John 12, oh, I do have it, beautiful, and 13, um, Jesus gets down on his feet, and he, he washes the feet of the disciples, which is really a profound way to love your neighbor as yourself. And he then stands, and, and so many, many times in the Bible, when you hear people say, like, what is the sum of the law? It's always like, well, there's two. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. We've heard this lots. But then Jesus is like, but there's a third one. It says, I have given you an example just after he washed their feet. As I have done, you also must do. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. As I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. When you love your neighbor as yourself. When you commit to keep your brother. This is how they will know. This is your work. And so we gather on Sundays um, to love each other. <clears throat> and the dream is that we would even be able to love difficult people who are part of the same community. 
and extend forgiveness and mercy and love to one another in a way that is profound. <coughs> this is amazing. We love you, Fitz, as we love ourselves. And it is a real need. I have a poem by Malcolm Gite. Loving your neighbor is a challenge. And that is the theme of the communion table that Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant in my blood. Um, and then Jesus says, go and do likewise. So if, the, if it is the blood of Jesus that um, unites all of us, then may our blood be poured out upon this earth uh, for the forgiveness of the sins of our siblings um, in the past and in the future. It's not so easy. Uh, but Malcolm Geit says, I'm worried that I won't see this. Nope, I do not. That's okay. I have a phone. It's a very profound um, poem that I've meditated on a few times this last couple weeks. Um, <clears throat> Love thy neighbor as yourself. Malcolm Geit writes, My neighbor as myself? I cannot learn to love myself at all. I look away. The dark glass only shames me and I burn at what should never see the light of day. Then the response of God is the second paragraph. I'll be the judge of that. For in my light, judgment and healing meet you equally. The self you loathe is precious in my sight, and I will have you love it into me. You and your neighbor both must be made whole. Her heart's as dark and needy as your own, so you must love her in her hidden soul, the very soul she's trying to disown. Love her as you are loved, and you will find love is your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Let's pray. <clears throat> Loving God, we, uh, we worship a God who can bleed. What a mystery. A God whose blood could be poured out for all of us. A God whose blood could make all of us new who could invite all of us to be made new again and ultimately a blood that could join us to one another into a new kinship, a new humanity, a new family. I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you hear, the cries of those who are suffering, the cries of those whose blood has been shed on this land. In this 40 days before we honor uh, Good Friday and recall Good Friday, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Give us the strength to go to the pain, through the pain, to honor one another and to acknowledge um, that the wound in you is not so different from the wound in me and make our hands the healing hands of creator Jesus, hands that could stoop down and wash dirty feet, that could honor and bless little children could touch people with leprosy, people who are work for the government, people who have persecuted our ancestors, uh, and, and to lovingly touch those um, who, who no one else wants to touch. Make us healers like you, and make our work the work of reconciliation, I pray. We pray in the name of our crucified Messiah, the name of our wounded healer, 